to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Paul, how are you? I am well. How are you today? Good. Juggling a thousand on-fire fireballs today, but um, it's been fun. Yes, and so we're recording uh, a mere uh, weekend away from the launch of Build, so yeah. I'm glad. I'm actually surprised you made it today, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, what, for, uh, it's the 3rd of May on Friday, so I, come, I always come in the office early on a Friday. And so, because um, it's so quiet here, I can get a decent parking space right by here. Uh, where my like stairs up to my office are and uh yeah build is readily around the corner <laughs> there's a lot to do but uh no it's been fun yes and you can tell it's imminent because i follow i think three different microsoft repositories on github and I had over 50 emails this morning <laughs> <laughs> between the graph and Microsoft Teams. And, uh, and and so for those who don't know this, right, it, since docs.microsoft.com is mostly based off of GitHub, you can you can watch a repo with docs of your favorite products and uh, be notified when things happen in the docs, which is nice. Yes, um, there's going to be quite a lot to announce. So my recommendation being is we're going to publish this on Monday uh, as the keynote's happening, if you're not watching a keynote and for some reason you're listening to the podcast instead, thank you. But if you listen to the podcast after all the keynotes or you didn't watch the keynotes, I would highly recommend watching such as keynote and Rajesh's keynote because um, the stuff that's being covered there is um, is really cool. It kind of shows you the future of where we're going on a bunch of things. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get everyone's feedback on it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and I would love to, for listeners to get reach out to us. Let us know something that you have questions about or want to learn more about, and we'll do our best to find people who can come on and help explain it in more detail. So it'd be yeah. great. So um, what have you found around the webs this week? Yeah, so surprisingly, I found more Microsoft links than community links this week, and I'm sure <laughs> that'll be even worse next week. So um, the first is just a little quick one. The, the CSOM has been updated. This is the, they call it the March 2019 release, but I just found this link. So if you're still using CSOM and SharePoint, there is a new client-side update. And most notable in this CSOM update is a support for a PowerShell commandlet to convert the root site of your tenant to a communication site. So that has been requested for a very, very long time, and they're oh, finally right. getting there. Yeah, okay. there's still some caveats about what, if you've done some work in your site collection, it won't migrate, it, like today, initially, or the initial release, but getting closer. So if that's something that you're interested in, I would encourage you to find that CSOM update with the PowerShell and get cracking. Yeah, and then I guess another Microsoft one is um, Daryl's team here in uh, Redmond, and actually remote to has been working on the microsoftgraph.net SDKs. So we're now up to an April release of 1.15. And um, they're busy adding all the client factory stuff now so that, you know, if you don't want to use certain things, you can throw it out and build your own middleware. And um, there's a bunch of benefits around page iteration changes. I was actually at lunch with Michael that um, has been working on that stuff. And there's some great feedback you've been giving um, 
as part of uh, all of the GitHub issues and things you've been raising. And so they've been working on that. And uh, the nice thing is now is that where we've got in this cadence where and Michael was doing this work too, was the continuous integration aspects of it. We can even do diffs against our Microsoft Graph metadata files to show what things have been added um, in terms of like actual API endpoints and so forth. So you can see here, there's a bunch of stuff around auditing and some secure score stuff, you know, as we're queuing things up ready for build. So um, definitely go check that out. If you haven't used the SDKs, um, we're about to put together some videos that'll be pumped out in the documentation. Um, and actually in the docs now, if you go to graph.microsoft.com and go into the, the docs at the top, uh, we actually have a use the SDK section and that explains um, the benefits of the SDK. And it also has videos from Daryl that explains, you know, how to get started really quickly with like four lines of code, including all the auth of getting the access token because we've done some work there to make that super easy. So if you haven't tried our SDKs or you did and you weren't impressed before, I would give it another shot because um, the feedback we had from the MVP summit showing this to everyone kind of blew people away of, wow, okay, now we're going to go do that. And I believe there may be some stuff close to you where you've actually started to retrofit your code with the SDK rather than using REST, right? That is correct. And um, actually, yesterday I installed the 0.1.0 preview of the Microsoft.graph.auth DLL as yeah. I'm playing around with that kind of stuff. And so, big early to, to, to roll out in production, clearly. But, and, and I actually opened an issue because something didn't seem to sit right with me. So, getting that feedback out. But this is great stuff to see. I am really excited about the middleware options because, as I said, we, we have. We have a bunch of code already communicating with the graph, which was created before the SDK was around. And so rather than just rip that all out and start fresh, that middleware option is certainly nice for me because I can, I've already got a REST HTTP client um, uh, set up happening that, that logs all the calls and the, all the instrumentation for um, the diagnostic stuff that comes back as part of there. So, so yes, it's, it's awesome. Great to see this moving around, and certainly, although I didn't know those videos were out because I struggled a little bit yesterday, it would have been nice to have those videos. I have to go, yeah, I just checked that, actually, so. and, and they're still not published. I think we're waiting for the Sunday night to click the go button, but uh, excellent. Um, yeah. the documentation is really useful. So, um, it's been something I've been asking Daryl to do for a while, and he's been so busy getting the SDK shipped that now he's like, All right, now we can do the docs, which is awesome. So, yeah, looking forward to those. So, good stuff. What else have you seen? All right, so the for quite a while now, Azure Functions has supported PowerShell. Uh, well, not supported, but it's been available. <laughs> and so they've now come through with an official um, preview, I think is what it's called. Um, yes, yeah, so an official preview of PowerShell in Azure Functions. And this is some – I found this somewhat interesting because – at conferences over the last year, I've run into many people who are taking PowerShell commands that they've done to manage their SharePoint stuff, or like if they've migrated from on-prem to the cloud, there are a lot of PowerShell scripts that kind of translate nicely and would love to use that in in functions. And so the Azure Functions 2.0 run or 2.x runtime uses PowerShell Core 6. 
and now that is launched into preview in the in the Azure Functions service, which means it's on path to GA. So we're getting there soon. So certainly, this uh, blog post I've got uh, it does cover a lot of things about the functions, you know, service itself, not necessarily PowerShell specific. Um, details, but certainly get you on that path. So it's nice to see that moving forward. It, it's been quite a while. PowerShell's been a, experimental for years now, but it's moving closer. So it's good to see. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was in that team on the marketing side, it was amazing how many people were asking for this. And there was definitely a lot of conflict because technically there's other Azure products that kind of cover the notion of uh, IT pros and PowerShell scripts through, I forget the name, I think it's like Azure, Azure Jobs or something. I can't remember the exact name of the product. Everyone that's driving right now is Jeremy, it's such and such. But um, what we found was there was a lot of devs that wanted to do this stuff as well because they were comfortable in PowerShell and piping commands through different calls and so forth. And uh, it's really cool to see that um, they have the bindings like they do to .NET functions that um, handle things like Azure monitoring alerts or resource changes, and they're all triggered through event rig and HTTP or timer triggers. So, and there's a lot more as well. So, from you know, if you're wanting the PowerShell script that wants to wake up every 30 minutes and do something, Azure Functions is a great place to do that. Um, I, I'm using it with the app that I play with in my spare time, but haven't had much spare time in a year, so it's not very gone very far. And um, my bills are super low running everything on Azure Functions. So I feel like this is a really compelling place for people to uh, go try things out if they're, you know, even if they are in IT and, you know, may not have used functions before because it was very scripty before. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that gets taken up. Yeah, I don't use functions that much. I think that's just a, a more of a function of, of the things I'm doing, right? If I'm supporting... If I have an app service that's already running, why do I want to have a separate management item in the Azure portal? I can do things as either a you know a, a web job or something like those. So haven't used them in, in detail. But if if I was coming through with something like PowerShell scripts, the which have no natural home, that would be great to see. So yeah, excellent. And then you found another one from Azure SQL too, right? Yes. So uh, some time ago, we had Arturo on talking about managed identities That's in right. Azure. And as a refresher for those folks who don't know, I can if I have something running in Azure, be it a VM or an app service or a function app, I can have Azure create a service principle in my directory that represents that Azure resource. So the VM gets an account, if you will, or the app service gets an account. And what has been uh, released now in the last week or so, if you have an Azure SQL database, so again, that's running the SQL, what we call SQL Azure, and you want to connect to that, right? In the past, your only option, well, the only f practical option was to have a SQL account, you know, in, in there. You, you could do some other tricky stuff, but what's become much more easier is if, let's say, I have a VM running in the cloud and that VM has a managed identity with some co configuration changes. Well, I can add a new library or update a library in my code and then do some configuration changes. And then the VM will connect to the Azure SQL database using that managed identity instead of me having to have a native SQL account or do some other hoops to log through. So this was pretty, pretty big to see, you know, finally SQL is is playing in the modern authentication world and and so 
I can do away with managing usernames and passwords inside of SQL, just connect up using this managed identity. Now, obviously, the authorization rules that your app does still have to be done by you, but at least now we can get one step closer to having connection strings that don't have passwords in them. So great to see. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago since we had Otara on the show. I think that must have been one of the first ones we did um, bringing the well, show back. I was back. actually in Redmond, so that might have been in Summit a year ago, maybe. Yeah, episode 138. We're on 168, so it's only 30 episodes before. Oh. But actually, that's a good point. Let's celebrate um, Andrew Connell and Chris Johnson's show. They just hit 300 episodes this week with the Microsoft Cloud Show. So that's a huge achievement to get to 300 yes. without killing each other. <laughs> Yes, indeed. And, you know, we're approaching a year when we're in May at the SharePoint conference will be a year that we've rebooted yeah, this one. So that's right. And I think we've only missed one or two weeks, so we haven't done too bad. Yeah, that's been great. Looking forward to a lot more. You sound really excited there, Paul. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, I think. Well, I didn't want to be too much of a cheerleader, but it's been, and actually I got distracted by my neighbor mowing their lawn on a Friday morning of all times. But so, yeah. I can't hear it. So, it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't necessarily expect that we'll have uh, all the big mystery of celebrations after three, like the 300 episode uh, that the guys have done. But yeah, nice to nice to be done this for a year. Looking forward to doing some more in-person ones that, that week. You'll be in Vegas, yes? Yeah, we will be, yeah. Excellent. There's some good stuff so, happening there too at SPC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one other one for the Hawkeyes out there. Again, if you're monitoring GitHub repos and NuGet galleries, then you're going to find this stuff out. But um, the astute eye would have noticed that the preview tag has been officially removed from the Microsoft Authentication Library for .NET, Woo-hoo! which is MSAL. Um, so it's gone from 3.06-preview to 3.08. Um, and so essentially that means that this is now GA'd um, and by the time this podcast comes out, it would have been announced on stage. So that's a huge thing. It unlocks a bunch of other areas. Um, the other MCL libraries will be coming soon and actually Microsoft Graph Explorer, which gets tens of thousands of people a day using it, which is pretty incredible really, um, is... Um, is using the MCL JS libraries now in production. Um, we flipped over from ADEL. So, um, yeah, th- there's a bunch of commitment that internal Microsoft services are doing to move over to MCL, and that's one just one example that um, is going on. So it's great to finally see that team get to the progression of being able to GA these things because I know there's a lot of people that are waiting for these to GA before they move over to them. In, yes, uh, myself included. And if you're still running ADEL.net, the, take a look at this. You can remove a lot of code. Uh, just setting up a confidential client or a public client application uh, with the constructor and passing in the data, and off you go. And I'm actually seeing some some work, especially in in the Microsoft Graph SDK bits, where there's uh, factory classes where you just pass in uh, you know the client ID and you get everything you need. And there's even following a pattern of of uh, just passing in a, a app settings object, uh, what they call options, using the options pad- paradigm in .NET Core, and it just automatically happens. So it's really pretty slick stuff. Great to see this finally seeing the light of day. Yes, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I'm glad it's finally here. 
So moving on to the community, uh, I found another post from Laura Kokoranen. I apologize, Laura. Laura, you're going to be in Vegas. We're going to be in Vegas. You are definitely coming on the show. And Laura's done a couple posts that we've talked about in the past, but this latest one is going through uh, after parsing the Internet to find the approach. She has a single blog post that sets up using a certificate to authentic- to use uh, when acquiring a token from Azure Active Directory when calling. Well, she's calling it Office APIs, but really the graph endpoint and using this in your code, including Logic App and Flow. So lots of, of, of work that she did to find all this information, put it all in one place. There really is no reason to be having these uh, client secrets floating around. Uh, you can use a certificate to do that, and certificates obviously have much have a well-defined uh, expiration, revocation, renewal process that most IT pros understand. So you certainly is a, a great, great work. So thanks, Laura, for doing this and look forward to uh, uh, publicizing this as I go through all my conference talks about identity. Yeah, she's really good because she the, the stuff that she blogs is obviously from a lot of research she's been doing and the, they're all very thorough blog posts. Um, so if you're not following Laura, uh, on RSS or on her Twitter to catch the blog post, I'd highly recommend it because I think every single one she's blogged we've mentioned on this show just because of the level of detail that she goes into. <laughs> so a great example of someone who truly deserves their MVP for sure. Yes. Yeah. I, and I'm a bit jealous. I used to do that. My my The early days of my blog were all a thousand words or 2000 words of how to do this and how to do that. <laughs> and, then, and there's big gaps where there's nothing because I don't have time to create that kind of work. Right. So I can absolutely appreciate the effort that she put into that. My and, last uh, blog post was me joining Microsoft. That's how bad I've been. Although to be <laughs> fair, I do write a little blog post on the office blog, but um, yeah. it's yeah, it's not quite the same as uh, the personal ones that these guys put that much detail into. Um, and then lastly, talking of MVPs, um, Tony, I always forget his last name. Why do I do this? Tony Redmond. Rock, Tony Redmond. Redmond. I always say to go Rockwell, but Redmond. Um, posted about a really nice tip in Outlook Desktop. So if you're using Windows 10 Mail like I do, or you're using OA, these settings aren't there. But um, you can say to end appointments and meetings early. And so... If they're less than an hour, you can snip it to five minutes. Or if they're one hour or longer, you can snip it by 10 minutes. And this is a great way just to have a little bit of uh, respect for people's calendars. Like if I look at, actually, this week's been pretty good because I basically blocked it out so no one could do anything for me. But my average week (laughs) is, you know, like 30 hours of meetings uh, with no breaks. And so um, there's kind of a bit of an initiative internally here to try and get people to do the right thing. And schedule 50 minutes or 25 minutes so that you do get some breathing room and respect the end of the meeting rather than just kind of going all the way throughout the whole hour. So um, it's nice to see those kind of settings creeping into things like Outlook Desktop. Yeah, that I agree. And obviously, being in a remote office, it's less of an issue for me. But I, I can remember a long time ago, I worked at a law firm and, and I had to write a scheduling website because the conference center that the law firm had had eight or 10 conference rooms and and they needed time to clean up afterwards, especially if there was set up for meals or you know snacks or whatever. And so anytime there was a meeting booked, there was what we called a no-fly zone in between meetings. So 
uh, give, give the, the cleaning crew a time to go in there. And I always thought that was a great idea. And every time I've worked at larger organizations, I've always tried to say this, can we just stop 10 minutes early, give people time to go to the restroom or, or in your case, go to a different building, right? So it, uh, this is a, a great idea. I'd love to see this move uh, through the rest of the, the stack, if you will. But really, that, that stack has to include the humans. So if you are a big company, hey, play nice and let people, let people yeah, go. No so. Let people have a pee break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I guess if you don't have time to go to the kitchen, you probably don't need to go to the restroom. So well, it's <laughs> true. You're like dried out like a camel. Yeah, it's very yeah, true. So yeah, so nice to end uh, on a little techn- decidedly non-developer tip. Yeah, but, that's uh, right. Certainly. Certainly worth knowing. Pass it out to your friends. So, well, that's enough. So the this week, uh, the aforementioned Daryl Miller will be a guest. And uh, how was that conversation? What's the topic this week? We're going to be doing a bit of a chat about just graph dev developer experience in general, actually, because there's some really cool stuff that we're announcing at Build. So um, I've literally scheduled a call with him at 2 p.m. today to get that done. So uh, nothing like last minute to get these things out in time for Build. Uh, that's true. That's true. So uh, must see TV, if you will. Daryl's always great to talk about. Uh, I, I presume he uh, he won't be going into too much detail on the on the RFCs that are behind the stuff there. But if you ever see Daryl at a conference, it's certainly worth your while to if to you say see him hi at a conference. A be sure to ask him uh, that or tell him that you're on the REST camp and not the HTTP camp, and see what his reaction is. It's the <laughs> easiest way to rile him up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not going to do that because I want him to do things for me, like write kick-ass <laughs> SDKs, so I'll be nice. But uh, nice to have him on, and uh, I can't wait to, to chat with him again uh, next time we're together. So thanks cool. for doing that, and well, uh, look forward to enjoy, watching you and Build. <laughs> yeah, everyone enjoy Build Week, and um, we'll see you the week afterwards when I'm on a desert island somewhere with no technology. Okay, then. So maybe I should find a guest for the week after. (laughs) Uh, Great stuff, Jeremy. Thanks. Cheers, buddy. See you, mate. Hey, Daryl. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well. How about you? Good. I feel like we haven't spoke a week. We've been buried in our own little holes around build planning and building content and stuff. Shipping. Shipping. Getting all things ready. Packaged up with a ribbon on. Ready for next week. Yeah, so we're recording this. Uh, it's two p.m. my time on the third of May, and it's five there. Yes, it there. is five o'clock. So, so it's ready for a beer time over there, then. Uh, yeah, I should have planned that a little bit better, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you want to introduce yourself? I know you've been on the show before, but not everyone listens to absolutely every episode. I thought you were going to say no, but nobody listened to you last time. Is what you were going to say. <laughs> My name is Daryl Miller. I am a PM. I'm lucky enough to work with Jeremy on a day-to-day basis in developer tooling on the Microsoft Graph. I'm responsible for Graph Explorer and the Microsoft S- Graph SDKs. That was like the intros they do in .NET Rec show with uh, Cole Franklin. I'm practicing. <laughs> I'm practicing my radio persona. The, the radio persona voice. Yeah, so, I mean... In the, we've pretty much started at the same time, and um, we've we've been working closely on a bunch of stuff. But like, I think the the biggest achievements, in my opinion, is the work around the Graph Explorer and um, all the SDK stuff you've been doing. But you do do a lot of other stuff around the houses around the Graph as well, which I, people probably don't aren't aware of. But you've been crazy busy this week, calendar wise. I noticed with uh, API reviews. 
Oh yes, it's it's obviously the end of year is coming, and teams want to get all that new functionality out on the graph. And yeah. the process here is as a team creates uh, wants to build an API to expose new functionality, they they write up a spec to say this is what the API is going to do, this is the shape of it, these are all the calls, and they bring it to an API review board and. We go through it and make suggestions and just try and get some kind of consistency uh, across all the graph when we stop people calling things name when it should be called display name and making sure we don't have it called created date time in one place and date created in another place and some more significant design choices. As I say, th those are the easy ones. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, we, we try and make sure that we don't have another scenario where we've got three different types of tasks uh, on the graph there. So we can <laughs> reuse the same concept uh, if it already exists. And because teams tend to come to the graph with a kind of vision of their product and they kind of see it as sometimes it's like, well, here's our product. We're just going to attach it to this part on the graph without a, a more holistic view of the graph in general. So our, our role is to say, yeah, but over here we have something similar. So how about you get things together and make it feel like a more coherent whole? Yeah, it definitely helps when developers come to the graph. And I mean, obviously it's a big selling point. Um, and the way we promote the graph is that it's consistent across the different things you go looking for. But um, it helps a lot with the SDKs that you also look after too, because that consistency makes it a lot more pleasant when you're inside of .NET or JavaScript when everything's how you'd expect it to be. Yeah, I mean, consistency is kind of the lifeblood of, of developers. Nobody likes being getting those little thousand cuts because uh, everything's slightly different because it happened to be built by a different team. Yeah, yeah. So you are the gatekeepers. You shall not pass is the, <laughs> the phrase of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on the SDK front, in a summary, what would you say you've done in the last year? Um, that's made the developer experience better for Microsoft Graph? Um, I mean, we, we've really been able to execute on that plan that we talked about last time I was on the show, this idea of kind of taking the graph, splitting it, sort of the graph SDKs and kind of making components so that you get to pick and choose which parts of the components you want to use and then bringing that uh, story up to a baseline across our four main SDKs, which would be .NET, JavaScript, Java, and iOS. Uh, so we uh, have releases all coming out this week, and they all have basically the same set of capabilities. Um, modules a couple of little differences because you know obviously. JavaScript's a very different language and is used in very different mm. ways than .NET, but where we can, um, we have tried to create a, a consistent set of capabilities across the languages. Yeah, I feel like after working with Node this week for the keynote demo I'm doing next week in getting it set up on a new machine, it felt like I pulled down the entire internet of <laughs> Node libraries to get a simple sample app working. Yes, uh, yes. Which I'm not used to. Yeah, and then the, 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 the libraries, um, we have this kind of um, 
set of standard cross-cutting concerns uh, that we've implemented. And the other big thing that we've done across all the libraries now is uh, our authentication providers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take the MSAL libraries and just plug them into an authentication provider class. And we take care of going and acquiring the token and handling as many errors uh, from the scenarios as possible. So hopefully that will make auth much easier. And like lines of code wise, it's essentially pulling, I mean, .NET, it was pulling the AMSAL NuGet, pulling the graph NuGet and the authentication additional one, right? Yeah, and we actually think once we come out of preview, that extra NuGet package is going to go away. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll just embed it directly into the Graph SDK. So it'll be just, it, it won't be any extra effort. It's just instead of, we used to have this, uh, certainly in .NET, this thing called delegating auth provider, which you created and then you provided all of the necessary boilerplate code to go and get the token. Now you don't have to do that. You just pick which authentication flow you want to use and pick the appropriate auth provider, give it all of your configuration parameters, and away you go. We'll take care of uh, all that token management for you in combination with MSAL. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it demos really well, but I've already spoken to partners that have seen you demo that um, and go and rip and replace what they had for auth, um, which benefits them because they're moving to MSAL rather than using ADEL, which is a there's a serious amount of benefits to moving over to MSAL now. Um, and also just makes the code a lot cleaner when you're using the S- our graph SDKs. Yeah, and we'll be able to add more capabilities in there. Like as uh, the identity platform add more capabilities, we'll be able to take care of some of that boilerplate stuff. I mean, we've already uh, started doing some stuff like uh, we were talking earlier about conditional access. Uh, where you have a, a, an API that currently, you know, say they turned on multi-factor authentication uh, and you try and make a call to that thing, it'll give you an error and we can actually identify what are those missing claims and adjust the uh, the callback to MSAL and then you'll get all the appropriate dialogue prompts in order to um, do go through the MFA dance um, so it's it's just stuff that people don't have to worry about in their own right. application code, uh, and in theory we should have done it right, and you shouldn't have to worry about it. Yep, yep, yep. No, it's definitely a. I guess it's a better together story that you know. I, in an ideal world, we'd have done right at the beginning, but it's just where we're at now is a, a better place. And so I think the the videos you do, which are now live for build. Um, that show you how to do this in JavaScript and .NET are extremely compelling. I think so. The the whole notion of like pick and choose what you want to use within the SDK is definitely a reality now with the way that you've modeled it in these layers, right? You can really, you know, can you give a few other examples of how you can bring your own stuff? Like I, I'll share a story afterwards. But have you got examples that you use when you're talking to partners and? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the most obvious thing is, you already have an app that you've built against the graph. You never used our SDKs because you didn't think there were any value. So you just let's say in .NET, you use the HTTP client class, and you're just using the standard get async, post async, those standard methods. Um, now, what you can actually do now is, if you pull down our latest version of uh, the SDK, the one point one one point fifteen. Um, there's a new class in there called the Graph Client Factory. 
And when you go and create your initial HP client, if instead of just creating it normally with a new, you just call our graph client factory, we'll hand you back a, an instance of HTTP client that you can continue to use exactly as you were before. The difference is, it's now plugged in with a pipeline that has an auth handler. It has a retry handler for handling 429s and 503 responses that have uh, retry after headers. And it also has uh, a secure redirect handler. So if you get a redirect from us, if it's within the same host, if it's a redirect within graph, we'll pass the auth token. If it's a redirect outside of graph, we won't pass the auth token. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that. And we're going to be adding more and more of these kind of nice pieces of middleware in moving forward. And you can take advantage of that immediately. You don't need to pull down all the model classes and request builders if you're not using them. Yeah. yeah. I was. We were talking to Paul in the intro of this show, uh, my esteemed co-host, and he was saying that they're actually in that process right now um, with adding 365 of looking to use this and it, he said it was very streamlined to kind of do that because of the way that we've we've made it available to kind of gradually come and it's not an all or nothing approach in how we're doing it which is nice yeah so what we're trying to do at the moment is just kind of looking forward is like what other pieces of middleware can we build in that will bring a ton of value to customers and we're, we're talking about you know well we, we've added compression handler in uh which should be out in the current releases so any responses coming back um well actually any request going out will get attached with the um accept encoding gzip response yeah. Uh, header. And then responses come back. We'll get gzipped and we'll get automatically decompressed on the way back. Oh, um, nice. And uh, we're looking at should we build in a private caching uh, piece of middleware mm -hmm. to automatically cache stuff and automatically do conditional requests so you'll get that 304 response back if the value, if it hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, and the other one we're starting to think about is uh, long-running operations. Can If you get a 202 back that says 202 accepted with a location header that points off to some operation monitor that tells you, okay, this thing's still running, it's still running, we could actually do the monitoring of that for you right. and find out when it's finished and then when it's finished, actually bring the response back. So it would just become completely transparent. You make a call using the HP You don't even have to library. be aware of it. No, it just all happens magically behind the scenes. So, yeah, that's smart. Well, and you do that with the multi-file upload as well. Uh, we, we have... That's actually a slightly different piece of architecture. That's what we call tasks. So tasks are a concept of a class where we are managing multiple requests where you need to manage some kind of state uh, in between the different calls. And the way that things like OneDrive and SharePoint handle um, large file uploads is um, they you can chop the file up into smaller ranges of bytes and then send yeah. each set of bytes up. And that allows, if you get a failure, you can resume. So we, we do have a task for large file upload and that is available across our SDKs now too. That's very cool. So I, the other aspect of this is I remember at Ignite last year, Nick Kramer from the Teams team was building demos and it really irked me that we were still doing REST calls, but it was because a lot of the Teams APIs were still in beta and we didn't have a SDK that supported the beta endpoint. So do you want to talk a little bit more about where we've made progress there as well? 
Yeah, we, we've come a long way in being able to uh, get new releases of our SDK out more quickly. And we're not 100% there yet, but we are able to get um, beta SDKs out much more quickly. We have a new release uh, of the beta SDK out this week. We actually have, a, it's really cool, we have a process now where there's new metadata goes out uh, every Tuesday morning and it kicks off a process and we automatically go pull it down and we go and generate all of the um, PRs against the different SDK repos and just generate these PRs to say, okay, here's the new code for all the different languages. So we all go in there on a month, on a Tuesday morning and go, okay, let's see what changed this week. Um, and all we have to do is review those PRs and then merge them in. Uh, the final step for us is really just building all the release pipelines so that we can appropriately package those versions and then ship them out to Nougat, Nougat or Maven Central or NPM, depending on, on the language. So we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting closer. Uh, by the end of our fiscal year, January, July, we should be uh, done there. That's awesome. And I guess the other aspect was is just discoverability of the SDKs short of me or Daryl cornering you at a builder ignite to remind you that there is an SDK and you should use it. Uh, we have had it incorporated into our quick starts and our tutorials since ignite. But um, there's been some more work we've been doing there to try to raise uh, the awareness of the SDKs. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, and this this has to be by far my most favorite feature of everything, and I really didn't expect it. Um, we are now generating code snippets into the documentation pages, into the reference documentation for both V1 and beta. So where you see an example of an HTTP request uh, in the docs, there will be a corresponding um, tab with uh, a snippet uh, per language uh, with that exact, this is how you do it with the SDKs. We currently only have uh, C Sharp and JavaScript, but we should have uh, Java and Objective-C fairly soon also. And just like in the, in the weeks, just a few recent weeks since it started to appear there, I've been using it all, all mm -hmm. the time. Because teams come to me and they're like, how do I do this particular call using the SDK? Yeah. And I'm like scratching my head trying to remember the exact syntax. Now I just go to the docs page and I go, here you go. This is exactly how you do it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's definitely been a deterrent for me in using the SDKs, even for samples, because sometimes with the, the Fluent by N.NET, you kind of got to remember about the dot request dot, you know, yes. get async on the ends and so forth. So yes. having those snippets now directly below the HTTP, like here's the exact post URL and here's the body and this is the content type. And then, you know, if I scroll down now, I can just copy and paste that code and it's got the Grife service client line in there with the auth provider in, in the parentheses. And then, you know, I'm looking at Teams one now where it's creating a channel and it's even showing you how to new up the channel object and then showing you how to use that in there, which is really, really neat. 
Yeah, we we have a hopefully we'll have an enhancement coming to the way we're constructing objects. The moment we kind of create one object and then glue it to the next and glue it to the next, so it makes the code a little long. There's there's C sharp syntax using object initializers that should be able to make that a little bit more compact and more readable. But just yeah. thing, things like uh, passing the anonymous object to a select so that you get strongly typed naming of the fields. Like I, I never remembered that syntax, and and I'm mm-hmm. sure there's very few people who've used the SDKs knew about the existence. Um, and when you look at the IntelliSense for, and it's like it's a lambda expression, blah blah blah. Like trying to guess exactly how that what you're supposed to pass to it wasn't very easy to do. So now with these samples, it's just going to be it's obvious uh, exactly how to construct it. Yeah, once you see an example of the SDK, it's like oh that straightforward but sometimes it was just a little bit tricky so having all these things listed in the reference documentation is is great so i'm really impressed that we got this out for build and there was a ton of people in the background working on this so that's great and then we also have in the well what we call internally the conceptual documentation but in outside world speak is the docs link in the top navigation um, where we just explain at a high level things Um, there'll be a new section there called uh, use use the SDK Uh, before we had it where um, essentially it said use the API and get auth tokens there'll be a new section in the develop section there that's all around the SDKs and um, it explains how to create the client for each language and also uh, the best way is to choose an authentication provider there. So we've heard loud and clear the feedback on, you know, there's different types of flow in how you do auth. And we've specifically explained how you use our graph SDKs with MSL under the covers to do this stuff in the different platforms, which is awesome. Yeah. And, and the docs that we have there, on, on, at the moment, they're bare minimum. We have docs that are at the moment in the different repos they're either in a folder called docs or they're in wikis on github and it, they're, they're just not as discoverable so uh, our plan uh, over the coming months is to migrate those docs that are there into a single set of documentation that explains the concept explains how to make batch requests and how to iterate over uh, pages and collections with pages in them and how to do all those kind of standard features and then give examples in each of the different code uh, languages uh, on how to do that. So it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having that full set of SDK docs available directly in uh, the reference document or in the conceptual documentation. Yes, neat. And, um, and in addition to that, people can follow along with the SDKs, right? Like you, your GitHub repos is essentially where all of our engineers are working on these things. Oh, yes, absolutely. And we have moved to being completely on GitHub with regards to all of our project tracking. So we're now using milestones and we're using the GitHub projects. And so you can see us moving tasks from one place to the next, from one week to the next. Um, so, yes, we're, we're fully... Uh, working out in the open and we should start fleshing out more of our um, backlog of future features that we're going to be working on and one of the one of the other reasons why we kind of tried to move to this more componentized architecture we have this notion of tasks and this notion of pieces of middleware was so that it became possible for people to contribute uh, certain components 
Um, so mm -hmm. if, if people have a piece of middleware that they, that they use uh, for some particular reason in, in their client applications and they think it would be widely available, you know, this is something that could very easily be just submitted as a PR and we could incorporate it into uh, the SDKs. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I was I was out to lunch with Michael, who was one of the engineers on the .NET side, and he was talking about working on some things around the page iterators to improve those based on feedback that come through GitHub. So I, I love it when I hear, you know, signal from external that this isn't as good as it could be and then us actually jumping in and reacting and starting to improve the SDKs at that level. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, I'm really happy we've moved all of our feature work to GitHub because what was happening before is we were doing all of our feature work behind closed doors and then the mm -hmm. only thing that was on the GitHub repos were people the reporting issues. bugs. Yeah, <laughs> so right. so it, it just has that real negative, oh, I don't want to go look at the GitHub issues because it's full of sad <laughs> things. I want to look at happy things where we've closed something and delivered a feature and customers are excited about features that we're building, so... Yeah, yeah, that's you know, so I, true. I, I remember the other uh, piece of middleware that we got a lot of uh, positive feedback about building, uh, which we need to get on our backlog, is our Chaos Giraffe Handler, or yeah. otherwise known as Drunken Giraffe Handler. Drunken Giraffe Handler. <laughs> yeah, that came from the MVP Summit, I believe, right? There was discussions either in a bar or in one of the sessions I can't remember right now it, it was in the throttling session and, and yeah. I think it was Andrew who sort of was asking for services to be able to have some kind of you could flag a header and say can you return me a 429 so I can make sure that our application is actually responding well to these uh, failure modes yeah. and uh, you know, I was like well why don't we just build uh, a piece of middleware that you can stick into your client. We don't need to get all the services to do it. We can just right. uh, put a piece of middleware in the last in the in the middleware pipeline, and it can just randomly generate failure conditions. And you can test your application and make sure that it behaves appropriately uh, when things like Azure goes down, which doesn't happen very often, but oh, sometimes. <laughs> Yes, we will not talk too much about that one. I'll leave that to the Azure team to talk about. But you mentioned Chaos Giraffe. So um, I just literally tweeted, we got the stickers in today, Daryl, for the, oh. the Microsoft Graph Giraffe. And Yina and I already have them on our laptops. And um, so it's a little bit of a backstory. At Ignite last year, this was definitely in a bar, this came up. <laughs> um, we were talking about needing a mascot because our stickers were lame and we didn't really want just graphs on people's laptops. We needed the character. And uh, a Uber that unfortunately has moved to a different team now, he works in OneNote, had talked about this notion of a giraffe because the word is so close to graph. And um, this escalated very quickly, but it's taken as long as since Ignite to actually get someone to come up with a decent design that incorporated, and you will notice it when you see the stickers, that the spots on the the patches on the giraffe are actually joined like a graph. Um, and obviously graph, giraffe, and if you do a G dash Roth, it's both a G Roth and the graph. It's magic. Which, which was magic. <laughs> so the Chaos Giraffe engine is definitely where we're going because Chaos Monkey was already taken for sure. But um, I think that makes absolute sense. So I think really you know even from the discussion we've had so far it really does show the benefits of what you get from being uh being using the sdk versus 
you know, ro- rolling your own. I mean, essentially, if you're going to call rest, and you know, even Nick Kramer's code, I was mentioning when he was doing against the beta endpoint, he was building his own mini SDK to do that. You know, yeah. he was wrapping yeah. things and creating his own mini clients to do auth, and and so the, you know, at the end of the day, it just depends on. You know, I'd we'd love to hear uh, what what stops you from using it based on you having your essentially your own SDK. If you're using REST, you're doing some form of wrapping or reusing. Uh, Daryl and I would love to hear from you on what's stopping you from flipping over and you know track those things in the GitHub so that we can try and meet those needs to um, satisfy you. We we aggressively sit there in our telemetry looking at how many new apps are using SDK versus just calling direct REST and. Um, seeing that growth, so we 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 are here to please, and we are very aligned with seeing that grow. So, whatever we can do to help is going to make a big difference for us. Yeah, the, the challenge with building it yourself is you tend to account for all the conditions that you've run into today and up to today, but there tends to be scenarios that you will run into in the future. Uh, due to just the nature of the way the web and the internet works, you will run into scenarios that you hadn't run into before. Um, mm-hmm. And then the problem is the SDK, oh, well, it didn't account for that scenario. Um, yeah, yeah. And our, our our mandate is to count account for all of the scenarios uh, yeah. that potentially could happen. Um, so it's ideally, why, why not let us do the work if we can? Uh, as long as we're not getting in your way. And if we are, that's what we want to know about. Yeah, and like Perth-wise, I know we've heard a few things around that, but can you talk to that a little bit about the Perth layer? Yeah, I mean, we have... If you just use our raw HTTP client uh, with our middleware pipeline, uh, the middleware controls will put very, very minimal... Um, overhead, it's literally just passing the call along and doesn't do anything unless a, a certain scenario occurs. And obviously, if you're getting a throttling call, we're just going to put your request to sleep for a while. So perf is not a major issue at that point. Um, so in those middleware pipeline things, uh, we can really only help and not hurt perf. Um, in our the generated code with the fluent models, um, we have some work to do. Uh, and th- there's a whole bunch of work that we, we want to do to improve the fluent models. And uh, I think there's, we, we can make some improvements uh, on, on Perf there. Um, but, I mean, largely you're going to do the work. I mean, in the end, we, we go down to JSON.net and use JSON.net for deserialization at the moment. And that's what most people use anyway. Uh, so however long it takes you to do it with JSON.net, it's the same thing as it takes us to do with JSON.net. Um, but we, we definitely have work um, f- on a usability side with all of the generated code as well uh, because at the moment we kind of fairly blindly generate a set of operations on a resource and sometimes you will find there are things that you can do uh, on the in the SDK that actually aren't supported. Uh, in the back end, and that sucks. I mean, we, we need to have a much more accurate representation on the client side of what the services can actually do. And there's a whole bunch of people working towards making that happen so that we have accurate metadata that describes the services, and then we accurately reflect that in the SDK. So I think that's going to also help us 
bring a much better experience to uh, to the SDKs when we get that precision reflected correctly in the in the code gen. And what are the some of the new things like features that you're planning? I know you have a separate repo where you kind of work in the open on new things. I know we've talked about app insights and and yeah. so forth. We we were hoping to get uh, some good logging infrastructure in uh, for build, but that turned out to be a bigger job than we were thinking. But that's really high on our list of priorities to build some real logging infrastructure to help developers be able to uh, both debug uh, their own internal applications and also be able to collect um, uh, telemetry data about their uh, their applications. Uh, an, an obvious particular service is App Insights. Um, although we're working towards, or we're looking very closely at a set of libraries called Open Census, uh, which are an open source set of libraries um, that a bunch of vendors are working on. Dynatrace and Microsoft and Google are all working on the set of libraries in order to have vendor-neutral collection of tracing data and applications. So we're trying to figure out how you would be able to kind of plug in a logging module into the SDK that would capture all your traffic and either push it up to um, uh, App Insights or Prometheus or um, Zipkin or Stackdriver. I'm trying to remember all the different services that are available for capturing tracing of, of, of network requests. So we we have some work ahead of us to figure out how that all glo- goes together. But it's going to be really cool when we can just say, okay, take the SDK, plug it into your application. Now go and, and log into your App Insights portal and you can see all the calls that are made and you can see when failures occur and when where, where the calls that went off to do auth and where the calls that went to do graph and maybe your yeah. own backend API and have all that integrated because App Insights has a really cool app map that gives you a visualization of a call and how long it took for each call. So being able to just plug that stuff in magi- uh, magically would be really, really cool. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I know that's been a big ask from people as well. So um, where's the blessed place for them to get started on this? Where do you send them? Uh, on on the graph itself, just oh, and just SDKs in general. Like yeah. I guess the new overview page is a good place to start. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, um, in the docs, go to use the SDK. The overview page has links there uh, out to our various repos and um, it's GitHub. Oh, you right? link to the design requirements doc too there and. Yes, yep. indeed. Yeah, so that's looking even further ahead. When we uh, make design new features, we try and design them and the requirements in a completely platform neutral way. That way, when our different teams working on the different languages come away, they tend to build, hopefully, the same set of capabilities in the different languages. And hopefully, in a, a way that feels natural uh, to the particular language. That is very, very cool. Well, look, I appreciate you carving out some time the Friday before build, but um, I thought this was a good way to have a podcast there ready warm for, there our, for the build attendees and for people who want to hear the latest on the SDKs because I think this is really critical to the graph. Um, I, I personally think this is the biggest news from build for us, the graph, but I'm sure other teams will think elsewhere, but that's yeah, my well, take on it. 
I, I'm I'm very happy with where we've ended up, and I'm really excited about all the new things that uh, I think are coming down the pike. So, and it's nice to get the feedback from the community saying, "Yes, okay, this is this is working. This is using. This is solving these problems." And definitely, if people are, have challenges or have ideas as to other things that we could do to reduce the pain of working with Graph, like we are all ears. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I will see you next week. When do you get in? Uh, midday on Sunday. I have like a 7.30 a.m. flight on Sunday morning. That's such a rookie move. Uh, yeah, How far I, are you from the airport? 20 minutes. Well, that's not but too bad, I guess. On the upside, I use my points to upgrade. So <laughs> I'm in business class. Look at you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There you go. All right, well, safe travels, and uh, we'll see you next week at Build. Okay, looking forward to it. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 